seated. My wife started a lesson last week and was not able to finish it, so we're going to hear from Dr. Janice Showstrand the word of the Lord. Lord bless her. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. We are delighted that you are here with us, with your family gathered around. We're getting the hang of this. You know you probably have to have some crayons and some coloring books and some snacks and keep the kids occupied. And I'm giving a shout out to all the littles. Thank you for letting mama and daddy listen to the word of the Lord. And thank you grandparents and moms and dads for gathering with us to eat some bread together. There's nothing like celebrating together. This is Holy Week. This is Easter week. This is the week 2,000 years ago that Jesus met with his disciples for the last time. And he began to give them the story of what was going to happen. They didn't get it. They were kind of thick. They, it was hard for them to conceive of the fact that it was over. That life as they knew it was over. That they were getting ready to experience a new normal. Sound familiar? We're there. And last week I spoke on what shall we say to these things. And Paul did an entire list of things. And then he got to the end of it and said, what are we going to say to this? And he summarized by saying, if God be for us, let me hear you say it. Who can be against us? So the question is, is God for us? Because right now, we are in the midst of a very tumultuous time. And it's not the Lord's will for us to be afraid. We are probably, in this generation and this hour, more closely living to the urgency that the disciples felt living under Roman occupation. Because they were threatened every day, all day long. We've never felt that before. We feel it now. We feel it globally. We feel it nationally. We feel it locally. It's not the Australian wildfires, the bushfires. It's not the floods over in Indonesia. It's not the tsunami in Japan. It's right here locally. So this is different. Now what are we going to do about it? And I want to say to you, church, beloved church, you have been believing this gospel, this good news. And what is the good news? I want to get to my subject, but I want you to hear me say, the gospel is that Jesus Christ did not come just to make your current life livable. He did not come, although he did things. He healed lepers. He healed a woman with an issue of blood. He opened blinded eyes. He healed lame legs. He raised a little girl from the dead. He dealt with people's daily life. But the thing about daily life is eventually it comes to an end. If you live long enough, you're going to die. And if you don't live to the end of your days, something can take you. So these people lived with mortality. And the Bible said that the Gentiles lived in the darkness, in the shadow of the fear of death all their lives. And that a great light had shined to them that they didn't have to be afraid of death anymore. Because there was something after it. There'll be glory after this. And so Jesus said, I'm going to have to let you know how relevant I am not to just your life, but to your dying and your death. Because I want you to know the thing that people fear the most is, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. 
And so Paul said, if Jesus didn't get up, this gospel is meaningless. Here we are at Holy Week, locked in our homes, in an empty church, having to live the life of disciples on the run, not knowing if the corona is floating in the air right in front of my face, if I'm going to pick it up from a loaf of bread at Walmart, not knowing who's infected in the essential workers that I've been standing next to without a mask or without a respirator or who's going to get the next respirator. It makes me want to cough <coughs> right there. And we are living the life of risk, the life of danger now. For the first time in our lives, we're well fed. We've got lights. We've got cameras. We've got action. We have diversions. And we can't even get out of our own houses because something invisible is present. Jesus said, I want you to know the thing you're most afraid of. I'm going to conquer. I know you think that having a lame leg healed is going to make your life easier. But I know that eventually your life is going to end. I want to prepare you for the ending, not the middle. So he said, I'm going to let you do to me what you will. I'm going to suffer rejection. He went through all the emotions that human beings could possibly go through. Took on the depression of the world. No wonder he bled sweat and blood from his head. And it's a wonder his heart did not explode from the pressure of the anguish he was feeling as he bore mental illness and depression and oppression. And you talk about stress. Jesus felt it in the garden. And then they took him and they did with him what they wanted. When Pilate offered him the opportunity to defend himself, Jesus refused because he knew the end result was going to be the same. I'm going to die. I cannot prevent the hour of my dying. I have got to go through this because what people in 2020 are most scared of is dying and what it's going to mean. And I have got to conquer that fear for my followers. So we know what happened. He was beaten bloody. They took a perfectly healthy 33-year-old male and in the space of 24 hours reduced him to a pulp of flesh and stretched him out. And thankfully, he only had to endure it with no medication for three hours. The thieves hanging on either side of him were not so lucky. Now, this letter was written after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You say, what does that mean to me? Because, my love, you need an exit plan. I don't, know, I don't know how many people who have died in ICU with nobody there. That is not what Jesus intended for you. And you, and you, and you. He intended you to hear these words. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I will never leave or forsake you. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. That's what he intended. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, the good news. It is not over. Now, how do you get there? And so we go to Romans 8. And I want you to go... To the first verse of Romans 8, then I'm going to jump to 6. Because you just simply cannot say it. You and I have to live it. And now you're on your own, beloved. You can't come into church. You, you don't get to sit. You don't get to listen to pastor shake his hand. We're trying to Zoom with you, but I can't hug your neck. I can't talk you through it, out of it. You have to get it for yourself. And your home has to become church. And your body has to become the temple. 
Now, if Jesus is going to be in you, and I'm going to tell you why you want God to be for you. I'm going to tell you. Verse 1 says, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So, I got buried in baptism because I got some things in my past that I feel condemnation over. So, I got to get inside the house and let the house get in me or those things are coming after me. I cannot live with the emotional pressure of my past. And Jesus said, I know you can't get in me. I will hide you from your sins. I'll remove the condemnation because the pressure will crack your mind and your heart. He said, get in Christ Jesus. And then he said, you cannot keep walking after your nature. You got to walk after me. Strongest argument for the Holy Ghost I have ever heard. There's no such thing as a good people. Jesus said there's none good but God. Nobody can recreate the character of Jesus without the spirit of Jesus. Not possible. Not even close to possible. Civility is not the character of Christ. Courtesy is not the character of Christ. Did you see people fighting over toilet paper? Do I need to say anything else? Now jump down to verse 6. To be carnally minded, that means to think like ordinary people who don't know Jesus. We all know what is logical. We know what is logical. But the Bible said there's a way that's right to a man, but the end of it is the way of death. You cannot use logic to attack your feelings right now. You cannot use reasoning because the reasoning rational mind is drawing conclusions from, I can't go to work. I'm not earning any money. I didn't get the government stimulus bill. One plus two plus three equals panic attack. That's human reasoning. It's a straight line of A plus B plus C equals D. And Jesus said through Paul, if you are thinking like that, you're going to die. He said, but if you think spiritually and you stop thinking like a common human being and you stop using your reasoning, say, well, that's all I've got. That's why, my love, you need the Holy Ghost. And the good news is, Jesus said, I'm not interested in your blood. Please don't crucify yourself. Your blood won't save anybody. It won't do a thing for anyone. It will certainly end your existence. I am the one who died on the cross. All I need you to do, which will feel like crucifixion, is admit what you've done. Repent of it. Let me baptize you in my name. It's the closest thing to adoption as I can get. And you shall receive the gift. What is it? It is the good news in me that's perking me up when I cannot come to church, when I cannot hear the music, when I cannot march in the offering. There is a voice inside of me that's telling me I won't leave or forsake you. You have to walk in that knowledge. Oh, lift your hands right now. Hallelujah. He said, to be spiritually minded will get you two things. Life means you're going to come through this. 
And you know how you're going to come through? Not limping, dragging broken legs, not, oh God, I barely made it. Oh God, I don't know how I did it. He said, to think with the mind of the spirit, which is not allowing yourself to be dominated by what you hear a human being, no matter how intelligent he or she is, I'm telling you, all they can do is repeat numbers. But my Bible says that we've been doing for a long time what our pastor's been doing, speaking to things that are not as though they were. We have been speaking things by faith in Jesus' name without seeing them in front of us. I know you're with me. I cannot see you in this room, but my mind sees you. I see you sitting over here and there and listening, and I'm smiling at you right now because I know where you're supposed to be. Now, this is verse 8. You say, why are you telling me this? Because Paul said, if God be for us. Oh, but verse 8, and this is on my slide. They, I want you to open your Bible and mark it. They that are in the flesh. So I've never received the Holy Ghost. I've never been baptized. I'm not going to make you angry, but this word might. It said, if you have not been immersed in the Spirit and the Spirit in you, you can't please God. And right now, you don't need to please me. You don't need to please pastor. I can't see how you're living at home. I don't know how y'all are getting along. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But I am telling you that without the Spirit, all you've got going for you is you. He said, you can't please me. If you're in the flesh. Now, I, on the bottom of my screen, and you should see it on your computer screen or your television set right now. I have put the nine fruits of the Spirit. These are the things that are the evidence of the Holy Ghost working on the inside. And I want you to notice that the first three have to do with you, what you feel... And then the next six have to do with how you treat other people. Everybody say, oh me. So the first three are love, joy, and peace. The effect of the Holy Ghost in you. He said, I want you to walk in the Spirit. If God is for me, I, I've got to make sure he's for me. So I've got to please him. And the only thing that pleases him is not my logic, not my intelligence, not my ability to reason. He said, I want to get into your attitude. I want to get into your mouth. I want to get into your behavior. I want to get into the way you think. The only thing that pleases God is walking in the spirit. And I'm the one that gets the benefit because I feel this wonderful love. And it gives me joy. It gives me joy because I know everything's going to be all right. But how do you know that? How can you say that? Did you not hear Dr. So-and-so? Did you not hear President So-and-so? You, but you see, they are not directing me. That's the voice of the flesh basing its assessment on who's working on the cure. How many respirators did we get? It's all based on what I can touch, what I can hear, what I can feel, and what I can see. And that's flesh. And if that's how you're getting your information and your response, you cannot please the Lord.
said, cannot. Now, the next six tell us how we behave with righteousness. Going to do the right thing. But it's going to get you in trouble. It's going to cost you. I'm going to do the right thing. The Lord will give me strength to do what's right. But it's ridiculous. You can't possibly win. It's not about winning. It's about doing what's right. But if you take a stand for, you know, if you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense for you to give in the offering and pay your tithes. You're not working. It's okay. I am not limited to my job. My God will supply all my need. That's what the scripture said. Long-suffering, it means, I, yes, I'm in quarantine with my kids and my husband and my kids' kids and my kids' dog. And I'm in, I'm, I need to quarantine myself because my attitude can be infectious sometimes, so not in a good way. Long-suffering, and that you suffer long, but you, you can't do it. I hope you got a good picture. Did you get a shot of that face? Let me just give that to you again. Zero in on the face. I'm doing it, but my God, I can't stand it. I'm suffering long, but it's not fun. He said, long-suffering is accompanied by gentleness. I got a gentle touch. Goodness. And notice the fruit, one of the fruit of the Spirit. Who knew the Lord had faith? The Lord has faith. Why would God need faith? Because he has faith that his spirit in me will allow me to navigate this very strange hour. He said, I have faith that me and you, and you and me, I'm going to bring you through this. Now, I'm God. I'm going to come through it just fine. But you? But you know what? I have faith that if you'll walk with me, if you'll let me take the wheel, I'll take you through this. And I have faith that you're going to let me do it because I called you and I knew you before you were born. I predestined. I knew there were going to be a group of you that would go, we're with you. We're going to sing. La, 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 la. Say, you're a bunch of idiots. You're morons. You're imbeciles. We're children of God. And we don't take our cue from movies and television and media and politicians and naysayers and false prophets. We're following Jesus, which brings me to the next thing. Next slide. Whoa. So we're looking for struggles and solutions. He said, kill your appetite. What? Don't allow yourself to veg out on anything except me. He said, if you're going to get inebriated and lose control, lose control in the Holy Ghost. Don't lose control binging on shows, food, negativity, magazines, books. Don't binge. Don't go into your binging. He said, kill that appetite and follow the Spirit. If you want to live and come out of this with peace. Verse 13, if you live after the flesh... Say it out loud behind me, please. Ye shall die. I'm, I didn't, you worried about coronavirus? You need to be worried about living after the flesh. Jesus said, do not be afraid of what kills your body. He said, don't be afraid of it. He said, do you want to die? No, look at me. I, it took me years to get this gray hair. Are you kidding? I don't want to die. It's taken me a long time to develop this figure, this posture, these abilities. I don't want to lose that. This face has been through it. But he said, you better be afraid of who can, after he has killed the body, kill the body 
and throw your soul into hell. Now he said, you need to be afraid of him. Say, are you afraid of coronavirus? I'm more afraid of God. Well, are you, are you locked up because you're scared of coronavirus? No, I respect the Lord. And I'm not going to tempt him. He said, obey them that have the rule over you. Yes, sir. I'm going to do my best. Then it says, if you through the spirit. Now, here's the key. If you're doing it because you're super self-disciplined and you're a control freak, that's not the Holy Ghost. Only God can tell the difference. He said, if you're going to kill your appetite, you have to do it because the Holy Ghost is moving you. Not because your willpower is moving you. They may look the same from the outside. Say, now tell me again why you're doing it. Because I want God to be for me. I want God to be for me. So now we're finding out the truth because there's no pastor to look and there's nobody who knows but you and your kids and you, everybody. We're all locked up together. And so we're finding out why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I eating or not? Why am I working out or not? Why am I doing these things I'm doing or not? Am I doing it because I'm about to be driven nuts? then the Holy Ghost is not driving me. I got to fight. Now I have to look at my motive. Why? Because I want God to be for me. Because <laughs> now I'm breaking it down. You said last week, if God is for me, who can be against me? Well, then it's important why I do. Now, mortify means kill it. Kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. If you have a habit, if I have a habit of shooting our mouths off, first time something happens, zip it through the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost says, I want you to do it for me. I don't want you to do it because you're trying to save your marriage, although that's a good reason, or you're trying to be kind to your kids. That's a good reason, but it's got to be locked in you. I must please the Lord if God be for me. It's about him. It's about my relationship with him. I'm not, I can't win points from anybody. It's got to be between me and God. Oh, God, help us right now to do what we do for the right reasons. We must conquer this flesh. God, you've given us power. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. You say, I've already failed. Hush. There's blood for that. He said, if through the Spirit you kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. In one verse he said, you shall die. And in the same verse he said, you shall live. Then verse 14 is the kicker. As many as are led, not driven, kicking and screaming, not threatened, not manipulated, not forced, not begged, not pleaded, not called, not offered a reward. He said, if the spirit goes this way, what are you doing? Well, I, I feel like the Holy Ghost called me to a fast. Are you trying to lose weight? No, no. there's something in me. Why are you giving up media? Because I feel like I need to spend some time in the Word. How come you put down... Because I feel a drawing. It's real quiet. I've turned off all the noise because I can't hear him unless I'm listening. And what are you doing? I'm trying. Lead me, Lord, I'll follow. 
Oh, you're just trying to impress. There's nobody to impress. The puppets. He said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons. Sons of God are led by the Spirit. Now, this is where it gets unbelievable. The next slide says, in verse 19... I'm jumping down from 13 to 19. You can read 16, 17, and 18. But it says, you're suffering now. Oh, oh God, this flesh. Oh, God, every day I get up and I battle it. Oh, God, I will be so glad when this warfare is over. When what comes out of my mouth matches the sweetness of your spirit. When my actions match your behavior. When my thoughts are taken over by yours. When my words reflect you in my deeds. Look, Jesus, help me. He said, you're not the only one suffering. The earth and there's an earthquake. Oh, God, help me. And there's a flood. Oh, God, save us. And the little animals are panting in the Kalahari in famine, in desert. You say, what? Creation has always been linked to the behavior of God's people. Always. The Bible said that the Israelites were so wicked in their own land. He said the land has vomited you out. We are as much creation as the creature. And he said everything God made is panting. What are they panting for? What are they waiting for? What are they suffering for? These little animals that just die without a whimper. What are they suffering for? The creatures in the depths above in the air and below. And thousands of them washed up on the beaches. Just dying endlessly in a cycle. And all of the coral being bleached out and living things perishing. What are they suffering for? They are waiting for the manifestation of truth sons of God. He said everything in creation is groaning. You think coronavirus is the judgment of God. It is the purging of the sons of God and the earth is groaning under the weight of the travail of the church waiting for God to push forth the creature where we no longer are concerned about ourselves but we rise in the resurrection not able to be hurt anymore by what people think not afraid anymore to risk our lives not ashamed anymore we've been purged through suffering like Jesus and the only way we're going to manifest him is to go through this I need you to lift your hands right now we're travailing why that Christ might be formed in me under great pressure and anguish verse 23 he 
said, not, not just the little animals, the creation. Not just the trees and the living creatures and things that have life in them. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. What is the first fruits? The first fruits is the nine I read to you. He said, that's just the beginning. My God, I'm working to just get the nine. He said, those of you that are in the process of the nine and you're getting cut back and the Lord's demanding more patience and more long-suffering and more gentleness and he's dealing with you and making you dig into the word and dig into devotion and denying yourself. He said, we're groaning within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of the body. Hallelujah, the redemption of this body. God did not send his son down here for me to replicate his crucifixion by piercing my hands and my feet but God sent his son in the likeness of humanity to show us that after the suffering in the body there is a resurrection where you're not worried about death anymore you've already passed through it you've already gone through it no more fear no more shame he said, they that have suffered in the flesh are dead to sin. You're just not tempted by it anymore. You're way past that. Now, if God be for me, and the Spirit's in me, and I'm in the Spirit, then verse 26, then the Spirit is going to say, I know what you're missing. I know what your weakness is. Oh, and when you're groaning, oh, help. That spirit begins to help me. And he that searches the hearts knows the mind of the spirit. Because that spirit's going, oh. Say, I'm not there yet then you cannot participate in verse 28. Next slide. And we know, once you let the Spirit loose to deal with your junk, once you let the Spirit loose and stop trying to do it through willpower, once you let the Spirit loose and you become empty of you, yourself, me, myself, and I, and the Holy Ghost begins to burn through you and rip through you. Then suddenly, after you have passed through the purging fire of the suffering and the denial and the mortification, not because you did it out of willpower, not to prove how long you could go. There are people who are smokers who put that mess down and they've never had the Holy Ghost one time. I'm not talking about the power of AAA or how many Alcoholics Anonymous or Addicts Anonymous. I'm talking about the power that brought Jesus up from the dead. Gets a hold of you and me and suddenly we are transformed from our weak flesh into something God can use. And the creature and the creation is waiting for us. And suddenly, that same spirit begins to take loose ends. Stuff that happens, the all things. He said all things. 
once you pass through it. But uh, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't. I surely don't. You haven't told me. Might not do you any good to tell me. I'm not sure. He said, but if you get a hold of me, all things work together. All. He didn't qualify it. He didn't say a little A, a group over here. He said, don't rationalize with me. If you have the Holy Ghost, all things. Now, let me get down to the meat of the matter. I got three slides left. I know I've gone long. You need to hear this. You, I don't know when Jesus is coming. Listen. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. You say, I can't do this. I don't know how to make all things work. It's not your job. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and 7. I'm coming to a close. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. You get tapped into the love of God and the spirit of God. You start bearing, believing. Love hopes. What, what does love hope? All things. I just hope it. Where'd you get it? Romans 8, 28. All things work together. So I'm going to bear it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to hope it. And I'm going to endure it. I am. It is the all things that work together. Love never fails. Hallelujah. My next... So I got to ask you a question. What have you been feeling? What have you been thinking? What have you been saying? What have you been doing? Oh yeah. Say, I don't know. What do I do? I'm off track. I'm on track, Sister Shostrad. How do I stay on track? To you that are on and you that are off, I have the same word. Next slide, my last slide. Keep yourself in love because love conquers everything. Prophecy doesn't. Knowledge doesn't. Love doesn't. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith stand, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God looking for mercy. I would like you to lift your hands right now. Jesus, we have come into this place. God, we need you desperately and abundantly so that we can be pleasing to you, so that we can be holy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.